Tuesday. Right now it's currently not a Tuesday and neither of us are eating gumbo. But yeah. uh hadn't recorded an episode in a while. So we thought uh yeah. maybe it'd be a good idea to catch you guys up on our lives. Yeah, it's been a while. We uh I guess we got caught up with finals and such and then we were home for break, so we never really got an opportunity to properly record an episode. So now we're we're doing this thing with Google Voice. Um so apologies if the quality isn't uh, up to snuff, but this is what we're working with. Because uh, yeah, it's last, I'm in New Jersey. Last episode we recorded was right before Thanksgiving, so thought we'd give you guys a little update on all the goings on in our lives since then. I know because you know, like we've such exciting lives, but uh, basically <laughs> we had finals right after Thanksgiving, which is uh, I guess pretty brutal. I don't know. Me and Jeff both were doing a fair amount of work. Yeah. Um, and once I finished up, I went back to New York and back to see my parents and stay at home for a couple of weeks. Jeff went back to New Jersey. Um, yeah, it's been pretty uh, pretty boring, honestly. I haven't really been doing too much. Uh, I went and visited Judah once uh, in New York. Was it once or twice? I think it was just once. Yeah, just um, once. Yeah, stayed over at his place. Um but other than that, I've just been, like, kind of wasting away at home, watching Netflix, reading books, um, definitely not doing yeah, being, enough exercise. <laughs> being on break, like, pretty tough. It was, like, first year I came back on break, it was really nice. Like, I got to see all my friends. Like, I would missed home. I would missed New York. Then, like, second year when I came home on winter break, it was, like, oh, like, so nice to be back. Like, see a couple of friends. Like, just have a break. And then, like, as I keep getting older, it's, like, not as close with my high school friends anymore. Um, not really, you know, just, like, more used to living on my own. Not used to being around my parents as much. Um, so we're coming. We're actually almost at the end of this break. Um, we start school in under a week now. Um, so I'm pretty looking forward to getting back. I was supposed to fly yeah, out to sure. Iowa for a couple of days to visit my brother. But uh, our flight got canceled. I'm actually supposed to be flying right now, uh, so we'll see if that ends up happening. It got canceled. Are you so? You're, are you not going anymore? Well, we're trying. I think we're getting on another flight tomorrow. But I, I really that's the one thing that's like weird about being at home is like when I'm at school, like I like am super down, like handle all my logistics, like plan everything out for me, like cook all my meals, and then when I get home, I just like turn into this, like, fucking thing that, like, can't plan anything and has to leave everything up to my parents. So, like, last night I got a text message that was, like, oh, like, your flight's been canceled. And, like, my parents had already gone to bed. Like, normally, right, I would be, like, oh, like, let me plan this out, like, get myself on another flight. Like, I can do all this shit. Well, like, once I got that text message, I was, like, mom, like, you got to figure this out. Like, I, I can't do this. Well, I mean, one good thing about letting your parents handle stuff is uh, the food, for sure. I don't know, for me at least. <clears throat> um, being home, the best part by far of being home so far has been uh, getting to eat all the food my parents cook. Because um, at school, you know, I just I throw some spaghetti and meat sauce in a pan and then call that a dinner. But here I got some, like, 
actual good stuff. Um, oh, yeah. So, like, for me, it's the exact opposite. Definitely the worst <laughs> part of being home is the food. Like, neither my parents really cook. Uh, they, like, didn't really cook my entire childhood. So, like, pretty much every day, like, around 7, I'm like, oh, fuck. I got to figure out dinner. We have, like, no food in the house. So we end up, like, I end up, like, scrounging together weird meals. Like, I think a couple times for dinner, I've eaten, okay, this is, like, pretty gross, but we'll, we'll live with it. I like tuna fish, eggs, and cheese on a bagel. Uh, oh, man. And that's, that's like, a dinner? That's my dinner. Um, wow. We have, like, yeah, something so. that's good is we have, like, a lot of snack food, which is, like, something I don't have at all in Chicago. Like, we have chips, we have pretzels, we have nuts, mm-hmm. we got berries, which is, like, cool. But, like, we don't, like, keep any meat, really, in the house. I think that's because, like, a lot of people are vegetarian, and so I just, like, don't, I can't, I don't really cook. Uh, it's just, it's been problematic. I'm excited to get back to school. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. So we've made dumplings so far. I mean, my parents, uh, my dad also, my parents also made um, uh, Peking duck for Christmas. Um, that sounds good. Yeah, what else have we eaten? Um, we had hot pot last night, um, homemade hot pot. Uh, we also, um, my parents also made this, uh, my dad made this, um, it's this like sort of pancake-like thing. Um, it's called shaobiong. Um, I'm not really sure how to it's kind of like bread, but um, he made it with tahini, and it's like baked. It's like tahini's like baked into the bread. Um, it's not really bread, but you know, it's this bread-like thing. Anyway, I've had that for breakfast the past several days, and that's like way better than anything I have at school. So, I guess the one nice part about being in New York is like there's a lot of good like restaurants around and food. So like I guess that's yeah. like okay, but like. That, like, involves me spending money, and it's tough because, like, on break, I'm not working, right? So I'm not, like, making mm-hmm. any money, but I do spend money. So I've, like, spent a bunch of money and haven't made any, so I'm, like, broke right now. <laughs> yeah. Do you eat out a lot? Or, like, order in food? Like, if you're not, when you're uh, not eating bagels with tuna and cheese, what, do you, what are you eating? Uh, yeah, we order in sometimes. Like, we ordered in... Chinese the other night. Um, a couple nights I've like made food. Um, the other night I made this peach chicken that was pretty odd. Um, what? Me and my brother, it was like just like cook some chicken, do some peaches in with it, do some sauce. It turned out pretty good. Um, peach chicken. Me and my brother made veggie burgers the other day because he's a vegetarian with sweet potatoes, mm-hmm. and that's pretty good. Oh, I've been eating a lot of sweet potatoes because those are fucking fire. Yeah. Uh, and like I guess like growing up my diet consisted of like pasta like my parents would make pasta a ton and that'd be it like mm-hmm. that was just my dinner which is like plain pasta um no, we no get sauce or anything no no meat no meat I guess like jarred tomato sauce sometimes uh sometimes butter um, sometimes we have these like we have these, <laughs> not always we have these, only sometimes nah, not always not always we have these frozen pizzas that we make sometimes too that are okay um, I guess I have eaten out like a fair amount I've like gone and played pickup fizzy a couple times so I'd eat out after that I don't know it seems like New York right now is in this craze of like boxed food 
So, like, I guess, like, right, the original model is, like, kind of Chipotle, but then, like, there's these things like Sweet Green, um, and now these things are, like, all over the place. Like, pretty much, there's, like, everywhere you go, they got this, it's, like, you come in, like, pick from a, like, it's very, like, modular menu, you, like, pick a bunch of different things, and then you just got, like, a box of food for somewhere, like, 8 to 12 bucks. Um, so mm-hmm. they got these, like, they have different Asian ones, a bunch of different, like, salad ones, um... I got a Wendy's 4 for 4 the other night, which is huge. Classic. I've been missing out on the Wendy's 4 for 4. By far yeah, the been best a while. Deal, by far best deal in, like, culinary history. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But so, like, coming into this break, I was, like, in, like, previous breaks, I've had, like, a really hard time, like, getting myself motivated to do anything besides, like, occasionally work out. Like, I just, like, watch Netflix or I just, like, sit on my computer and just, like, switch between Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter. That's definitely, yeah. like, the worst thing I fucking do. I just, like, rotate through different social medias when I'm bored. Um, yeah, for me, for me, so, it's Reddit. I just, like, scroll through Reddit for just hours. It's dumb. It's so stupid. And so I was, like, coming to this break, I was, like, I, like, I'm going to, like, do, like, different projects I'm interested in. Like, I want to do some, like, creative stuff because I don't really get to do that. Like, I was, like, oh, like, let me do some writing. Um, and so that's been, like, I really came in with this mindset that I was going to do that. And that's been a really big failure. I've not really <laughs> done, done any of Okay. The other day I went and did some work on my BA for, like, a couple hours in a coffee shop, which was, like, pretty good. Um, yeah. And then I was, like, oh, I can keep this week going. And then the next day, instead of continuing to do work, I took a three-hour nap. Um, so that did not work out. But, so the one thing that I have been really good about that I said I'd do a bunch of is I've spent an insane amount of time reading this break. I think I've yeah. spent more time reading than, like, any other time in my life. I think I've spent... Wow. That's a lot. Seven different books at this point. What books? Um, okay, so first I read... Um, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, which is this book about, um, it's about, I guess, like, World War II, but it's told from the perspective of, like, this girl and this boy. I'm not, like, trying to give away too much. It was a, it's pretty long, really good mm-hmm. book. Uh, the writing was really beautiful. It was, like, a pretty good story. Um, so it took me, like, a week to finish that book. And I wasn't really doing that much reading during the first week. And then the second week, I was just, Pounding through books. So I read that. Then I read this book called Weapons of Math Destruction. Uh, math? About like mathematics? Math. Yeah. So that's like how we use algorithms and stuff for bad and how uh, it like promotes uh, inequality and hurts people. Um, wasn't uh-huh. something that book I actually already knew, but it was still like pretty interesting to read about. It was like constructed in a really nice way. It talks about like credit scores. It talks about like college admissions. It talks about stop and frisk. It talks about uh, the mortgage housing crisis. Uh, which also meant yeah, that sounds really interesting. Spotlight was such a good movie. If you guys haven't oh, yeah. seen Spotlight, definitely watch Spotlight. Um, I think I learned a lot from that movie, and it was like really enjoyable. Um, you mean the big? I read that. Oh fuck! That is totally what I mean. Spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about the mortgage crisis. Spotlight also yeah, a great yeah. film, but big, I think Big Short is what you mean. Yeah. yeah, I'm talking about the Big Short. The Big Short's really good. 
Oh, man, I actually made that mistake earlier in the week, too, um, confusing those two movies. Okay, after that, I read um, Never Let Me Go by Ishiguri. Uh That's also a really good book, uh, narratively kind of weird, um, but tells a pretty interesting story. Um, I think I knocked that book out in a day and a half. Um, then I read Hiroshima, which Jeff recommended to me. Which is, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like a long form essay. It's published in a book now. It's like 150 pages. That's just, uh, it's like basically the telling of Hiroshima through like six different people. Um, that is really interesting. I highly recommend reading that. Um, yeah, that was, that's one of the best things I've ever read, I think. It was just, it was just kind of crazy to see like the, uh, you know, the first-hand experience of these people who, like, lived through a literal atomic bomb dropping on their city. It's insane. It was, yeah, it was, it was really crazy. It was, like, really interesting to hear about them. It was really interesting from, like, their perspective. Like, a lot of it was just, like, the literal telling of the story, which was super gripping. But then they had also, like, different parts where, like, people talked about, like, the atomic bomb and their feelings about it and their feelings about the war and, and like, the emperor of Japan. And that was all really interesting as well and then so when it was originally published it was just like a telling of the stories immediately after the event but now there's this extra like 30 pages of revisiting all these people like 40 years later and that's like really really interesting to see how like their lives have progressed um Mm -hmm. that's like i it wasn't the most enjoyable thing i read because like i don't know how it's tough reading yeah yeah but it was definitely like a really really good read um, then after that, I read, oh, I read, uh, God of Small Things by Arundhat Roy, or I'm saying that wrong. She's an Indian writer. It, this book won, like, the Booker Prize in, like, 97 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I read this book because it was about twins, and it was about fraternal twins, and so, like, something I was interested in is I feel like all of, like, the portrayal of twins in media are, like, really different from, like, my experience of twins, because, like, all the portrayal of twins in media are generally, like, identical twins and stuff like that, where, like, me being a fraternal twin and really different from my twin and that often being, like, difficult and not relating is just, like, not at all in line with that portrayal of twins. So I was interested to see, like, a kind of different take on twins, but this wasn't really what I wanted. Um, This book was, well, I read all of it, so it wasn't that bad. Um... It had a really odd narrative style. The, like, plot, I thought, overall, not that interesting if you just think about, like, the concrete parts of the story. But there was, like, a lot of really cool metaphors. There's a lot of interesting imagery. Um, I don't know. Definitely not, like, a book I'd recommend, but it was a fine read. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, oh, so a, one really big thing while I was, like, going through all these books, is I noticed everyone else in my family had a Kindle. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is some shit. Why does everyone else have a Kindle? And I don't have a Kindle. And Did you get one? As well, yeah, so I got a Kindle. Um, highly recommend. The one thing that's really nice about it is, like, everything you highlight, you can just immediately send to yourself in a PDF. So, like, I like highlighting while I read, but, like, uh-huh. nothing's ever really, like, come with that because it just like stays in the book but like now I can just like send that to myself and have it um also books are generally cheaper on the kindle 
It's way more portable. Um, there's even this thing you can do with the New York Public Library where you check books out and then return them. And then you can basically, like, read anything you want for free on your Kindle. Free. And that's like, pretty sick. Well, you need, like, a New York Public Library but membership. That's also free. Um, so that and oh, that's, that's, that's free as well? Yeah. Uh, but it's, like, really nice because, like, the city part of checking books out of the library is, like, having to go to the library and pick it up and return it. Because yeah. it's all electronic, you don't even have to do that. You can only do it electronically. Um, can anyone, so can anyone like, get a membership? I think so. Like, can I just, I think you have, can I just go online or something? Think, and... I think you have to go, like, in to a public library. I don't, honestly, I don't know. I got a public library membership when I was in, like, fourth grade. Because they made everyone in a fourth grade class do it. Um, but, so that's really cool. Then, so, book I just finished called Whiplash. Um, and it's... Any relation to the movie? No relation to the movie. I knew okay. that going in. So, um, it's written by these two dudes, two professors, one at Northeastern, one at MIT. And vaguely, I guess the purpose of the book is talking about, like, how to live in the 21st century. Uh, I don't know. Okay, that's, that's like, big, it's like, yeah. It's, like, different principles for, like, how, like, to live in a society with, like, internet and so interconnected. But it's mostly focused on, like, career-oriented stuff. So, like, how to, like, work and stuff. And, like, what's the best practices for that, for, like, innovation. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really, really interesting book. Um, they bring up a lot of really interesting points. A lot of things where they show, like, how our traditional reasoning is now flawed based on different developments that have happened in the world and how we need to switch our traditional reasoning. <laughs> Also, like, not as enjoyable as some of the other things I read, but was super interesting. Um, I know, it's weird because things are, like, enjoyable in different ways, right? Like, there's something that's enjoyable because it's, like, a nice story or, like, you, like, like hearing about it and it's captivating. Um, and the other thing that's enjoyable because they, like, intellectually, like, make you think. Um, so I yeah, finished like, that. You didn't learn say, something from it, right? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Like, Learned a lot. Um, definitely thought, like, it made me, like, think about a lot of things. I think, like, reading that was what got me, like, thinking about working on my BA again and just thinking about, like, career aspirations. Um, it was interesting. It made me think a lot. Uh, this is a good conversation we actually can have. It made me think about, um, like, wanting to do, like, meaningful work and whether or not that was something... That's important to me. Um, like, well, what do you mean by work, you mean by meaningful work? Like, like basically, like it was talking about, and like they do like different case studies of all this work, like people are doing that's like really meaningful and like gonna be like, oh, like people write about it and stuff. And so, it was, like work that impacts other people. Is that what you mean? Like, yeah. So, like basically, like what I started thinking about is like, is it important to me that like. I'm doing work where, like, other people will be writing about me. And so I know that's, like, kind of a means, or that's kind of an ends rather than a means, right? Like, your goal shouldn't be, like, to do work so that, like, you're remembered, right? Like, mm-hmm. your goal should be, like, to do impactful work for the work that it's, like, impactful and meaningful. And, like, if it's impactful and meaningful, like, it'll have an impact and people will write about it. 
Um, but I guess yeah, yeah. it's, like, kind of hard to, like, quantify something in terms of, like, how impactful and meaningful it is, and it's easier to think about it in terms of, you know, do people, like, write about it, or do people remember you for it? And I think another way to look at it is just, like, it does, you know, the work you're doing, you know, uh, benefit other people, right? Like, if that's, you know, if, if what you're doing helps other people and makes their lives better, that's like a, I feel like that's a good measure. And then maybe people will write about it in the end anyway because of that, right? Yeah, so, I like, I think what you're saying is, like, a much better way to, like, think about it. But, like, for me, there is, like, some draw, right, to be, like, noteworthy, right? There is some, I like... Oh, like, yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. But I'm just saying, like, there's there's other ways to look at, it, at look at, you know, quote-unquote meaningful work, right? There's different ways yeah, to look at it, I think. I guess I was thinking about, like, where does this draw to be, like, remembered or noteworthy come from? And is that, like, is that, like, a valid thing that I, like, actually should be working towards? Or, like, is it much more, like... I guess, like, right, like, when I, like, start thinking in that way, it kind of makes me feel, like, a little bit shallow, I guess. Because it's, like, oh, what you care about is, like, people remembering you and not, oh, actually, like, meaningful, I guess. Yeah. So I kind of go back and forth in that, right? So it's, like, you know, at first glance, it does seem, like, as you said, shallow. It's, like, you're you're not doing things for the, you know, the right reason as whatever, whatever the right reason might be. But I think that if... In the end, whatever you're doing is good. I don't think your um, your motivations really matter all that much. Because I think if you, you know, if whatever the work you're doing ends up benefiting people and ends up contributing to society in some way, I think it doesn't really matter how you got there, right? Like, okay. As, so long as, is... as long as your motivations aren't malicious in any sort of way, then I think whatever it is. Yeah, so this is, this is kind of making me think about Coco a little bit. So... I'm just going to, like, the movie. start talking about Coco. So if you yeah. haven't seen Coco yet, I'm going to, like, bring up some spoilers. So if you want to go see it, I guess maybe, like, skip ahead or something. But so basically... Definitely, definitely, oh, hold on, just definitely go see Coco. One of my favorite movies I've ever seen. It's such, an, it's such a great film. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so one of the things I was thinking about that was kind of, like, frustrating to me about the movie. Honestly, I love the movie. But so Ernesto de la Cruz, right, he, like, I thought they were setting up this, like, interesting dynamic of, like, oh, like, your family versus, like, your career, right, which I thought was, like, it wasn't, like, such a clear-cut thing. Um, and then he just ten- ends up being, like, this super fucking evil and malicious guy, which, like, makes sense for the story and, like, makes the story flow a lot smoother. But it does make, right, mm-hmm. like, to say you're, like, a musician, right, and, like, you do have to, like, at a certain point, like, choose between those two things. Like, I do think that's an interesting, like, discussion. Uh, I guess it, like, I feel like art is kind of a different, like, medium. But, like, I thought, like, the idea of, like, oh, like, you have to choose, like, there's a point where you do have to choose between. I don't know, it was weird. I wasn't really sure what the movie's message was in terms of, like, family and I think art. That, I mean, so I, I feel like the, the movie, yeah, I see your point there. Like, um, maybe they could have made Ernesto de la Cruz a bit more nuanced in, in the sense that he isn't just this guy who, you know, 
does things uh, specifically for his own purpose, like he kills up people and that kind of stuff. But I think the per- like the movie's goal, like the, the story he was trying to tell, was just one of family and love and you know sticking together with your with your family, as, you know, through through whatever you know trials that you might go through. I think. So in the yeah, end, I, I, I felt like it was just. Um, it, it, I mean, it was also just about like this love that um, that Hector had for you know his his daughter. Yeah, and I thought like it told that story really well, um, but like, and like in the end, right? They say that like, uh, what's his name, Manuel? Like he's allowed to play music, and so it shows. I think like here's where where I'm like standing right now is that like. It shows that, like, you don't really ever have to make a choice between family or music. <laughs> like, they, like, made Dela Cruz, like, portray like that because, like, he was, like, evil incarnate and were, like, setting up it up as, like, oh, this is a choice you actually have to make. But in the end, that's not actually a real choice that you have yeah, to make. Yeah, no, like, I, I don't, do both. don't think, yeah, I don't think they were setting it up so that you have to choose between music and family. Like, it was choosing between fame and family, I think. Also, Sam, okay. I feel like, I feel like De La Cruz is an evil incarnate. He, he has, he's just, he's just a guy who wants to be, be famous and be known as the best singer of all time, or, you know. Bro, he poisoned he his best friend. Like, that's pretty evil. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, evil incarnate is someone who just, you know, does things to do things, right? But he he kills people to kill people. That that that, that would have been. I feel like. I don't know. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, yeah, yes. De La Cruz, pretty pretty bad dude. Um, uh, but but so back I to the point. Like, I, I thought it was. I thought it was the movie was talking about. You know, choosing between fame and and family, which I guess you know still is. Uh, okay, so I, I guess know. maybe like the point I want to discuss isn't so related to the message of the movie and more just related to like. The movie kind of got me thinking about it. But I do think there's somewhere where, like, eventually in your life, right, you do have to make, like, sacrifices. Like, Mm -hmm. time is a finite thing when it comes down to it. Um, And so, like, well, I guess that's, that's actually something that we could debate a little bit. But, like, time is technically finite. And so because you only have so much time, right, you have to put that time you have to allocate that time in different ways. And so, mm-hmm. like, how you allocate that time is, like, a decision you have to make. And so, like, when I'm thinking about it, right, like, I can think about it in terms of how I allocate my time, just, like, now in college, but also, like, long-term. For me, to like, when I hear these stories about, like, all these people doing, like, really meaningful work, right, they're, like, first off, they, like, are super smart, which, like, they all, like, went to, like, good schools and got really good grades, which is already, like, putting them in, like, a place where they put a ton of time into that. But then it also Mm -hmm. seems like they're, like, working insane hours, like, working super hard, just, like, so committed to their work. Where, like, for me, like, a lot of, like, what's important in my life is just, like, hanging out with my friends or, like, playing frisbee or, like, reading, right? Like, reading not Mm -hmm. at all related to my work. And so it does seem like if, like, really wanting, even, like, so I do work for this professor um, at school, right? And even he, like, has spent an insane amount of time doing work. 
Like, he probably spends more time doing work than I would want to do work. It's like a, a work-life balance type of thing. And so I do think at some point you have to, like, be like, oh, if doing like, really impactful, meaningful work is, like, important to you, like, you have to put potentially more time than I feel like I would want to put into doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, and I'm talking about, like, meaningful, impactful on, like, a super large scale rather than, like, a smaller scale, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I think what I, I mean, my take on this is just that I feel like, personally, I, I don't know, I guess you kind of have more direction in terms of your, like, um, professional life than I do. I don't really know what I want to do, so um, I'm pretty content to just kind of, at this point at least, just kind of explore different, you know, sort of career options or jobs or whatever, and then just, you know, spend the majority of my time kind of enjoying uh, my friends and, you know, my family and all these all these other things that I think that I are important to me, like Frisbee, right? Like, that's just, these, these are the things that I want to be spending my time on. So I think for me, I feel like it's not as much of a, uh, I don't really have that much conflict, but I, I think you being the more ambitious type might have uh <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know. I like I think for this. the most part I like agree with you about like those are the things that like but there is part of me that like sometimes when I like read stuff and like am doing on work, like doing like a bunch of work, I'm like, man, like this like brings out a really good and like it brings out, a, like, a really big feeling of, like, self-worth in a lot of ways in myself. Mm-hmm. And that, like, it's, like, it makes it seem like I'm, like, super, I don't know, it brings out, a, like, I, I don't think I, like, there's a way for me really to elaborate on that yet. But, like, it brings out a lot of feelings of, like, worth in myself. And so that's, like, it's, you know, it's good to feel like you're worth a lot where, like, you don't always get those feelings like in the same way with like yeah you like feel accomplished right like you've achieved yeah. something yeah <clears throat> I mean I think that sorry excuse me uh, I think that having you know these sort of goals in mind is sort of um, something that you know kind of drives a lot of people um, but for me I just, it's just like I just kind of want to live you know enjoy myself uh I don't know if that's like a shitty thing to say, but I'm not, I, I'm not sure what. I guess I guess part of the reason is I'm not really sure what I can, you know, what I can do, like what I'm able to uh, contribute. So mm-hmm. I guess it's just like I see it both ways in that, like I get like really meaningful moments out of frisbee and like spending time with my friends and family. But then there are also, like, when I've, like, completed a project and feel really good about it or, like, am reading about all this exciting stuff, where I get moments of, like, wow, this is, like, really exciting and it's, like, bringing about change in some way on a super large scale. Um, Mm. So I guess, like, one thing that, like, more and more I've been thinking about is that, like, writing is something that I think is super meaningful because it allows you to connect to, like, many people. Right? And so, mm-hmm. while, like, connecting with people on a personal scale and being someone, like, being there for a friend is, like, a really nice thing, right, and meaningful in that way, like, being able to connect to people on a larger scale also appeals to me. 
in some way. And so, like, writing appeals in that, like, it's a way for you to, like, I guess, like, it's, like, a way for you to, like, share your experience and, like, and if, like, other people can relate to that on a larger scale, like, that's, like, I think a really cool thing. Both in that it speaks a little bit to about how, like, we can connect to larger as humans, right? Like, if you're able to write something and then all of these other people are also able to connect to that, like, I think something I often, like, lose sight of is, like, how connected we all are. And so if you think about, like, these books that become, like, really big, it's really big because, like, so many people can connect to that, right? Mm-hmm. In that, like, there's something in this book that speaks to something about every to everyone. And so that just is, like, this notion of connect, connecting on a larger scale is, like, really interesting. Yeah, one of the books I'm reading right now um it's called Deep South by uh, Paul Thoreau. Um, that's just kind of like what you're jo- what you're talking about right there is kind of one of the big reasons that I'm enjoying this book. It's, it's um, so Thoreau is like a travel writer, and he's like uh, he. This book is about his like you know his adventures throughout um, the South, like Alabama, Mississippi, um, Georgia, Tennessee, etc. Um, but like what he does instead of going to like you know the big cities and seeing life there he like goes to the back country he uh like visits all the poorest areas and he tries to um understand you know how those people are living and how they go about their daily lives and what they think about the world and how they you know view other people in relation to them like um and also that he talks to people who are trying to help build up those communities and make them better um and i just think that you know i was just th- I, i'm thinking as i'm reading this book like this is just a slice of american life that i have absolutely no idea. I have just had absolutely no idea about, right? Like, I've, I've lived in the North my entire life. I've, I've grew up in New Jersey. I, I now go to college in Chicago. Like, I, I don't really know anything about, um, you know, the South and the people there. I, I just know these, like, kind of these tropes about them. Like, um, you know, they're all Republicans, they're all conservative, yada, yada. But, like, being able to read about these people who, you know, these real people who, um, uh, you know, Thoreau just, kind of brilliantly described in his conversations with them. It's it's really awesome to be able to, you know, read something like this and understand uh, you know, some other people that I wouldn't have understood otherwise. Yeah, I think that was like the other thing that was really cool about Hiroshima too, right? It's just like it allows you to like in this way like connect with people that I mean you're not literally connecting with them, but you like are in some way understanding there, you know. And just, like, yeah. right, there's, like, right, you talk about how, like, and that's what's so interesting about, like, writing or movies or other things or, like, even the Internet is that it lets us connect to people that otherwise we'd be so unable to connect with, right? Like, if you think mm-hmm. about think about the number of people you're able to connect with in your life, just, like, actually personal connections, like, talking to face-to-face, it's, like, so small, Right. Like, mm-hmm. basically, like, it's most of the same people, too. Mostly people who come from a similar background. Mostly people who have had, like, kind of similar experience. Right. You talk about right. people, like, in the south of the U.S. having super different experience. But there's a whole other world out there. And all of yeah, those exactly. people also have different experiences. And so it's just, like, that's what I think is so powerful about, like, fighting is it lets you connect to those people potentially in ways you otherwise wouldn't be able to. I, that's another thing I've been thinking about. Uh, oh, this is actually something I've been thinking about a lot, um, that weapons of mass 
destruction made me think about. And actually, uh, Bill Simmons kind of had a podcast with, I think it was Brian Cranston, where he started talking about this a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's this idea of, like, monoculture mm-hmm. um, versus, uh, like, non, uh, I guess, like, so I guess here's the best way I can explain this. So, like, it used to be right that we had, like, very small cable and, like, all of the same things were playing, like, all of the same movies everyone saw, like, the same things were all everyone's experience. And so there was, like, a shared experience that a lot of people had. But now with, mm-hmm. like, the invention of Netflix and, like, even, like, super personalized ads, super personalized stuff, like, tailoring everything to your person because there's a lot more data about you, like, the experience that you're having is now much more unique to you. And so, like, the shows that you watch, the music you listen to, your, like, experience when you're browsing the Internet is potentially much more unique to you and less shared across uh, people. And so in that way, there's much less of, like, a monoculture, and that potentially makes it harder to connect with other people. Do you have a thought on that? Um, yeah, I... I know the Ringer had this article about um, Game of Thrones being like the last piece of TV monoculture, um, and you know, think about it, it's like it's pretty true, right? Like, I don't, I don't know any other shows that people pretty much ubiquitously watch. I know, I know you don't watch Game of Thrones, but um, the only thing I can think of is Stranger Things. Yeah, I guess Stranger Things is pretty big right now, um, but e- like even so, there's just like. Like even even if you take streaming things as you know a piece that a uh, you know piece of art that everybody consumes, there's just like very few things that everyone around the United States. I guess I'm just kind of confining this to the United States, but um, you know, things that everybody consumes at once. Um, yeah, I don't really know uh, what to make of that. Honestly, it's just I feel like that's just the kind of world that I've grown up in. You know, I, I that's just kind of how I've you know, seeing things like I, I don't know how maybe things were different back when there was like four TV channels and everyone watched, you know, the, the late show or whatever the hell it was. I don't know. Um, and I and mean, the other it, thing also is with like Netflix and DVR, right? It's not even consuming it, but it's consuming it at the same time, right? Now that this whole thing was like spoilers and consuming it later and stuff. And so it used to be like, right, you'd go like, I even remember this a little bit when I was in like middle school. It was like, you'd go into school and everyone would have seen the same episode from last night because that was your only mm-hmm. chance to watch it, right? And mm-hmm. so, and you would know, like, everyone was watching at the same time as you. Where, like, now, like, because of all this different stuff, like, that's not really the case, right? Like, you can go and watch it, like, a year later, a month later, and so now you have to be, like, careful, right? Like, yeah, so people, so people, um, yeah, I was just going to say that, like, even now people sometimes don't watch shows like Game of Thrones as they come out specifically so that they can binge watch, right? Like we have this culture of just watching, you know, a million TV sh- TV episodes like in a row because um, I guess that's just more more entertaining that way. I don't know. I, I feel like, like having having that conversation, being able to have that conversation, you know, week to week is just, I feel like that's more interesting to me at least. I don't know. So you, you some way like think that this loss of, I guess the term we're using is like monoculture is bad. Well, specifically for TV shows, I think. Like, I, I enjoyed being able to talk to my friends about, you know, Game of Thrones Season 7 as each episode aired. Um, and, you know, we would discuss, like, 
oh, what's going to happen next? Like, all these different things that we can talk about as we watch it. Whereas if I'm watching it all at once, and I've seen the, it's basically, it's like a 10-hour movie at that point, right? Like, I've just seen everything, and then that's that. You know, I can't, I can't really have, I can't talk about, to my friends in the same way, um, you know, about the episodes. Um, I don't know, is, is there other, are there other, like, examples of this, like, monoculture outside of, you know, TV or TV shows? Well, I think it's just, like, kind of thing? it's, like, starting to happen and will progressively, like, happen more. But just, like, everything is becoming more and more personalized to us, right? Like, I guess the, like, real way you think about it is, like, your newsfeed on Facebook or, like, ads or stuff, right? Like, these are things that are starting to become, like, more and more personalized to us as these, like, these companies get more data about us. And so you mm-hmm. could see this start to spreading, like, more and more into our lives. And so there our experiences become, like, more and more personal rather than uh, connecting. Uh, I guess, like, the things I can think of is, like, sports is something that I feel like, for the most part, like, still kind of keeps this, right? Like, because sports is so much tied to them being, like, live, like, Mm -hmm. and then the thing I, like, I guess, like, where you're never going to lose this is, like, you're, like, the ways you connect to other people in terms of, like, feelings and emotions and stuff. But, like, I can see, like, a lot of our experiences becoming, like, super personalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what, how things will look, you know, a few years down the road. And, like, there are, like, lots of benefits of that, too, right? Like, some of these huge benefits with TV is, like, you're now able to consume it in ways that were otherwise, like, not possible. You're now able to see, see things you otherwise were not possible. Um, it's just this kind of this idea of, like, oh, like, this is something we're all, like, doing together in the exact same way. is like, kind of gone. Yeah, I guess I just never really thought of it that way, right? Like, I don't think I've ever thought about, you know, just my experience being the same as other people's experience. I guess growing, I mean, I just feel like growing up with the internet, the internet is just, there's just so much there that you can choose from that I feel, I've I've never really had this sensation of, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm growing up and I feel like, I mean, you know, having the same experience as someone else, you know, Texas or California or whatever. Yeah. I know. It's like, I I just, like, think it's interesting to think about, like, how this has changed already and how it could keep continuing to change so that it becomes, like, even more and more, like, right there, like, personalized. Yeah. So, like, the one thing that I think, like, still kind of had this was, like, Star Wars. Like, when the eighth movie came out, like, I still kind of felt like, oh, this is, like, a big cultural phenomena that, like, everyone's yeah. taking part in. Yeah, that's fair. I guess I, like, so, I, I guess one, one thing I'm thinking about is, the like, the things that... Like, Star Wars is a big deal because I think all of our friends watch Star Wars. Like, we have this huge conversation in our, you know, Frisbee team Slack about it. Um, and, you know, these are, these are the people that we, you know, hang out with and interact with the most. Uh, and because they all watch Star Wars and we watch Star Wars, we think it's, like, a big deal. Obviously, it is a big deal, right? It's like, you know, had whatever the second highest opening ever or something like that. But I think a lot of what we feel is something that's, you know, everywhere might be tainted by the fact or biased by the fact that, you know, what we and our friends watch or consume or 
whatever. Um, but I think so, are very, like... Are very similar. Where, like, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think Star Wars is even a bigger deal than that because, like, one place where this would show up a lot is, like, cable TV. Like, cable TV was, like, broadcast to everyone, and I see, like, mm-hmm. fucking ads for Star Wars everywhere. Like, people just put, like, different Star Wars stuff. Like, there are these car ads that have Star Wars involved in them. There are these other ads that have, like, Star Wars involved in them. And so, like, cable TV, I think, was something that, like, really kept that, like, monoculture going. Like, even though there are a bunch of channels and people could watch, like, different channels, like, there was still um, a lot of, like, oh, like, you saw these ads, right? Everyone did these dumb ads. Where, like, that's, mm-hmm. like, once you start going online, right, then the ads become personalized again. Um, where that wasn't something that happened with cable. You didn't, you, it was just, like, personalized by channel, uh, which was even more personalization. But, like, now with this whole Disney and Fox thing, I feel like cable TV is, like, basically going to die. Like, from my understanding of this Disney and Fox merger, like, Disney's going to pull their content from uh, Netflix, make their own streaming service, and, like, pull a bunch of their stuff and put it into a new streaming service that's going to be a competitor for Netflix. Um, And basically all cable TV, and, like, all cable TV will slowly be is, like, sports. Yeah. Wow. And, like, I guess late-night talk shows and stuff like that. That'll, yeah, I guess, like, like dude, I guess I don't watch with cable TV anyway. Right. So, like, I, like, right, so that's why, like, so many people don't watch cable TV, especially younger people. And so, like, yeah. cable TV has been, like, going way down, and Disney was, like, losing a ton to Netflix. So I'm pretty sure Disney's going to, like, pull all the Marvel content, pull all their movie content, and make their own uh, streaming service eventually to compete with Netflix. Man, it's kind of crazy how many things Disney owns. Like, doesn't Disney own HBO too? Own what? HBO. I might be wrong about this. I, let me let me Google this. I'm not positive about that, but like Disney owns like Disney bought Pixar, right? So like that was one of the Disney like owns all of the Marvel universe, which is like huge. I think it's something like yeah. of the past like. 25 highest box rated movies, like, so many of them are Marvel, um, and then they own, like, all this other, like, DreamWorks studios they own, they own, like, all of the Disney channels, they own ESPN. Okay, Disney does not own HBO, I am wrong about that. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, Disney owns, they also, like, I mean, when they bought Lucasfilm, how yeah. many years, like five years ago or something like that? They, now they have Star Wars too. It's I'm looking at this list of things they have. It's crazy. Um, they have a they have a music group. <laughs> um, I guess they have. Uh, yeah, you said Pixar, Marvel. Now they own Fox. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, so I just feel like our society is like headed towards this thing where everything becomes super personalized. And I'm not sure, like, I, I see that being really good in a lot of ways, but I also think they're, like, I don't know, there's some things that were, like, nice that were potentially losing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've been talking for a while, so there's, like, one last thing I want to hit upon before 
uh, we end. Um, and that's me and Jeff recently have been really getting into this game Go. Um, so yeah. in this book, Whiplash, that I was reading, um, it talks uh, like a little bit about this program that Google built called AlphaGo, AlphaGo. which is like, Go is this game, I think it's originally of, like, Chinese descent, but then eventually Japan, like, got really good at it and started beating the Chinese, from my understanding. Um, and so I guess it's, like, a strategy game. Uh, the rules of it are really simple. I'm not going to try and explain them all right now. There's, like, good online resources to learn how to play. Um, but basically, this was, like, the super huge thing uh, for AI, artificial intelligence, because people thought, like, oh, like, we don't have the computing power. Go is such a hard game. Like, we're, like, it's we're a very long way away from having uh, computing to, like, beat, uh, like, the best players in Go. I remember the really big deal when they first were able to do that with chess. But Go has mm-hmm. like, so many more permutations than chess. It's so much more open-ended um, mm-hmm. that, like, they thought Go was, like, way harder but then, way harder, but then in, like, 2015, I think, Google was able to develop this program, AlphaGo, that was actually able to successfully beat, like, what is widely thought as the best player in the world at Go, and was able to do it, like, with creativity and all this other stuff. It's, like, a really interesting, incredible story about what Google was able to do. But so, after I read that, I was, like, reading this stuff all about how, like, Go is, like, really interesting to think about and involves a lot of, like, critical thinking and how they found all this stuff about, like, analyzing what people's brains were doing while they were playing Go. Um, and so I hit up Jeff and I was like, yo, like, we should get into Go. Um, so both me and him have been, over the past couple of days, playing a bunch of Go. Yeah, you know, I was reading about this, too. Um, it's kind of crazy. They They built a new... Uh, AlphaGo, Google built a new, like, um, AI system called AlphaGo Zero, and that kicked the ass of the original AlphaGo. Like, the AlphaGo that beat the best, you know, human Go player alive couldn't compete, like, at all against this, uh, this new thing called AlphaGo Zero. So I don't, I don't know how they do it, but they just keep getting. Well, one thing that better. they explained in there while I was reading was that basically, like, one of the ways they're able to get AlphaGo really good is that they would, like, make two, like, different versions of it, or they'd make a bunch mm-hmm. of different versions of it with slightly different, like, things, and then have them just, like, play each other over and over and over and over again. And from playing each other over and over and over again, they would, like, keep learning more and more and more how to get better and better and better. Yeah. But I guess that's what we're trying to do, <laughs> play a bunch <laughs> and get better. Yeah, but so I've played, like, probably, like, 100 games in the past couple of days. I, like, it was kind of dumb. I kind of first just was like, all right, like, let me just, like, play and try and, like, I learned the basic rules. And I was like, let me just play and, like, figure it out. Um, and so I did that yeah. for a while. And then I started turning to a couple different, like, online resources um, that definitely helped, like, under explain to me a bit more of the strategy. Um, but Go is actually played on a 19 by 9, oh, traditionally played on a 19 by 19 board, where right now I'm just, like, learning on a 9 by 9 board. Um, which is way simpler than a 19 by 19 board. So there's like there's like a very, from my understanding, a very high barrier to entry of really like understanding Go and getting good. Yeah, at or it. like being competent. <laughs> yeah, especially because the, compu- the computer somehow is just 
way better than us <laughs> right now. So we keep constantly losing. Um, well, like, I, I always found with, like, chess, like, I was always, like, thought I could, like, maybe, like, think in a pretty creative manner and, like, think about these attacks and was always getting into that. But then, like, I would always fucking fuck up. Like, I would always just make some <laughs> mistakes where I didn't see what was going on. I think that's a little bit, like, based on how my brain works um, and that, like, I'm always, like, thinking ahead and, like, thinking really quickly and, like, that's kind of who I am. And so I, like, am not always, like, checking my stuff. Um, and so that's definitely been a problem a little bit with me with Go. Like, as I've been playing more, I've been starting to, like, recognize patterns where I normally make dumb mistakes and learn not to do those. But I guess I guess this is one last quick conversation we can have before we go. Something I've also been thinking a lot about a lot is um like we often like inherently think like, oh, someone's smart or someone's dumb. Well like that seems like mm-hmm. such a ludicrous thing for me now to think. Like I feel like so much of like what we're good at and how we display that in our brains is like from our past experience and how that's trained. And so something I was thinking is, like, just by, like, I kind of got interested in, like, this idea of playing Go because I was, like, oh, like, this, like, helps with, like, critical thinking skills and, like, helps teach you a lot. So one of the things that this book Whiplash talks about a lot is it talks about this programming language, uh, Scratch, um, and -hmm. it talks about how, like, if we teach kids how to, like, think in these ways from, like, really early on, it'll, like, help develop all these, like, really important thinking skills in them. And so, like, mm-hmm. we kind of, and talk, it, it, like, goes into this much more in-depth talk about like, education and what we're doing wrong with education. Um, but just, like, much more that we're able to, like, shape our brains than we think we are, and we're much more able to, like, train them to be good at things. And, like, <laughs> yeah, I just think we have a lot more ability to, like, like, I feel like, it's, like, kind of a dumb thing to say, but, like, you can potentially, like, like, when you just say, like, oh, I don't get this, or, like, oh, I'm bad at math. Like, I don't think anyone's, like, necessarily inherently bad at math. I think, like, some people might be better at math because of, like, things that happened in their childhood that led to them, like, being better at math. Um, But I think, like, this is something that, like, you can, so, like, there's something I remember growing up where, like, early on pretty much like fourth third grade even they started dividing you up into like faster and slower math groups and just like mm-hmm. the more i think about it the more that seems like absurd because you're first off like reinforcing like this thing like oh you're good or bad at math in kids which is like more likely to make them to enforce that where i feel like you can just like cultivate these skills in everyone yeah i, I remember reading a study uh for one of my classes um I don't remember the specifics of it, but basically, I, I think they, the researchers looked at um, when you give feedback to kids on, you know, the type of uh, the quality of their work that they do. I think I think they did with they did this with uh, drawings, so like uh, art drawings. I think when they when they gave feedback that was targeted at their, you know, their base characteristics, like if they said, "Oh wow, you're a really good drawer," or "Oh wow, you're a really bad drawer," some you know th- things like that. <laughs> Um, they, they ended up, so obviously they didn't use those exact words. Um, but. Oh, you <clears> fucking suck! Never do this again! Yeah, so, uh, they found that kids who, um, received that kind of, those kind of, that kind of feedback, um, versus kids who received feedback about their actual output, where they said, oh, this drawing, um, 
you know, you you messed up in this area. Like, you should have colored red when you should have colored it blue. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, my point is that if when they, they gave feedback about uh, that targeted their characters, like the, who they were as people, um, they ended up doing worse later on. Like, they didn't show the same amount of improvement as uh, kids who got more constructive feedback about um, you know, the actual nature of their work rather than, you know, the nature of them as people. Yeah, like, one thing I think about is, like, something I struggled with growing up a ton was writing. Uh, I had writing tutors for a fair amount of my life. Like, I, like, was really bad at, like, I think it's because, like, a lot of things about, like, the way my brain works just, like, doesn't translate really well to on paper. Well, like, now if I think about it, and, like, maybe that's because I've matured a fair amount, and, like, I wasn't really in a place to do this when I was a young child, because, like, not very self-aware about your own work, like, don't really have patience to work through things. Um, but, like, I feel like if, like, if I could, like, if I put time into it, substantially improve my writing. Like, if I had someone, like, giving me feedback, like, I could now actually, like, learn from that. Where I think, like, growing up, I was just like, oh, I'm just, like, a bad writer because, like, that's who I am and I'm never going to be able to fix mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, having that sort of, like, approach to things is just kind of defeats you know, you, right? Like, then you're never going to improve if you think that's just who you are. Yeah. All right. So we've been talking for about an hour. Uh, yeah. No one's probably going to listen for any more than that. So I'll <laughs> cut it off. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for sticking around. If you are still around, um, you're probably one of, like, four people. Uh, much love to you. Yeah. Well, hopefully, when do you get back to Chicago? Uh, the second, I think. My flight's at 3 o'clock, so probably, like, the, the evening of the second. Maybe we'll have a Gumbo Tuesday next week if Jeff gets back to Chicago. We'll figure something out. When are you, when are you getting back? Uh, depends on this whole Iowa trip. Still in flight. Okay. All right. All right, I'll see you later. Talk to you later. Bye.